The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answers Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Savio Chen. He's the founder and CEO of U.S. China Partners. Uh, he has a new book out called China's Super Consumers, What One Billion Customers Want and How to Sell It to Them. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Savio. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Great to be with you. Let's just start with a little bit of your background before we get into the book. So give us a little bit of your history and your knowledge of both the Chinese market and the U.S. market. Sure. I was born and raised in Hong Kong. I came to New York about 29 years ago for college. And I went to a local school for college. Uh, and then I um, finished school. I wanted to do business. And um, I uh, co-called a Chinese billionaire for nine months uh, and convinced him to be my mentor. And he's been, he has become my friend for 27 years. And um, so, uh, so along the way, I started, I started my first business in 1992. It was a computer store. Uh, I sold it five years later. And then I started a chain of Microsoft Authorized Technical Training Center. And I sold that in 2001. And then uh, about 12 years ago, I started U.S.-China Partners because many of my CEO friends were asking me constantly about how to do business with China. So because I'm bilingual, I'm bicultural, and my family have been in China for a long time, so I decided to start U.S.-China Partners to help companies in the U.S understand more about how to do business in China. So in our first four or five year business, we did a lot more of sourcing and buying products from China and helping U.S. manufacturers, company make products in China and then sell back to the U.S. And the last five years, I would say the majority of our business is to help U.S. companies sell their products and their services into the China market because it's going to become a very large market. So, and our main job is to help them understand if their products or services have any potential in China. If they do, how to get in there and how to find a partner to help them distribute their product and sell their product in, in the Chinese market. And then, uh, if they do have the potential, we also help them navigate the Chinese, you know, uh, landscape. We have to have a job in terms of where to go, how to do it, which part to work with. So that is enough. Very good. So tell me about the book a little bit. Uh, you, you've come out with this book called China's Super Consumers. Uh, why was there a need for a book on this particular topic now? Well, for the last you know, uh, few years, you know, uh, Chinese consumer has become the most powerful consumer in the marketplace and passing around. 
or not in the market as well. So, more and more of my clients have been asking me about how do I sell to Chinese consumers, and they have a lot of you know uh, assumptions that are not accurate, wrong, and many of them are simply applying the same best practice from America to sell the market. Beginning with the, the introduction of the book is what you call the China dream, and there's an American dream of kind of having a home and a family and all that. How would you define the China dream as uh, what what consumers have these days? Well, the China dream is a similar version as the American dream, with a little bit different nuances because uh, Chinese government and Chinese people, uh, by and large, revalue stability and harmony above everything else, including prosperity. We believe that uh, without stability and harmony, you know, prosperity cannot be accomplished. And if it can accomplish prosperity, uh, it's not worth pursuing. So you see, Chinese dream, and a China dream of Chinese dream, is to really harmoniously grow the Chinese economy and and, and the dream uh, at a step-by-step harmonious basis so that you know, they can achieve the goal. So the Chinese dream is a little bit different than the American dream. But in America, we want to have freedom. We want to have our own you know, uh, house, our own cars, to buy whatever we want to buy. Uh, the Chinese dream is a little bit different than that. So what do you mean by harmony? What are people in, uh, willing to give up uh, to have harmony, make it a little bit more clear about what exactly that means in the, in the Chinese context. Well, you know, in China, we are one of a culture uh, that you have to listen to your parents and you listen to your uh, to your government. You know, the country leaders. In this case, it's the president of China and the, uh, and, the, and, the and the party party leaders. So we have to do whatever it takes to observe those. You know, rules first before doing anything else. So that means that we will do anything to not to disrupt that harmony. So whatever our parents want us to do, we'll do our best to follow. And whatever our country leader wants to do, we'll do our best to follow. And uh, unlike the democratic society we have in America, which is very successful, uh, which allow a different kind of system, the Chinese really are much more obedient in a general sense, and we want to make sure that, you know, harmony starts from home, you know. And when you uh, have a harmonious home, listen to your parents and follow their, their guidance, uh, family is much more harmonious, and thereby prosperity will follow, and then the country is the same thing. So we have a very different take in terms of 
a harmonious society. And that's why we have to listen carefully about President Xi Jinping from China explaining about what you know uh, China wants to accomplish. And he wants to try to grow prosperous step by step and help them, help all the Chinese citizens to be more successful in a, in a way that's you know harmonious. Yes. Now you also talk about a country within a country. Are you saying that there are many different countries within China, uh, different cultures, different uh, ways of uh, appealing to them as consumers? What do you mean by the country within a country? Well, we have, uh, you know, China is huge, right? So we have all these provinces, and the southern provinces near Hong Kong uh, is very different uh, than Beijing and Shanghai. It's also very different from the, uh, the people near Russian, near Russian border, Heilongjiang province, which is very cold and very different culture. So, in essence, uh, Europe has different countries, different countries. We have one big country in one time zone, but uh, the characteristics of each group in each province behave and act a little bit differently than the others. So, in, in essence, it's almost like if you're from Shanghai, the most, you're most similar to people in New York. If you're from Beijing, you're more similar to the people from, you know, D.C., you know, in that matter. So, so we have different characteristics, different culture, different style of communication. And so when people say, I want to, I want to go to China and do business in China, you know, they have been more specific. There's very few products that you can launch the same way across the country. You have to adjust it to their local nuances a little bit different to succeed. Very good. Now, you have a whole long section, but we want to have a chance to get into detail of it. But basically, kind of give a sense. Okay, give, give a sense of kind of the history of consumerism in China. There, there was a long time where there was a lot of consumerism, and then during the Cultural Revolution, it was very much discouraged, and now it's kind of come back. So just give me a brief idea of kind of that flow. Well, you know, for, for me, for, for, for a long time, Chinese doesn't have so-called consumerism, you know, uh, you know, in, in the country. Of course, they eat and, and they consume. And then in the, in the middle of China, where when China is very prosperous, uh, when China is the center of the universe, when they were the number one country, like America, many, many years ago, they have a lot of consumers uh, at that time. But, you know, and then Cultural Revolution shut down the most of the country, and then and China become isolated, and, uh, and, and everything changed overnight. And all of a sudden, there's almost no consumers in China. And until about 30 years ago, when Tang Xiaoping opened up China again, China really at the bottom of consumerism. And there's no wealth whatsoever uh, except the, 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 uh, the very few people. So until 30 years ago, uh, Chinese does not open up the country to the outside world. There's no consumerism. But now, for the last 30 years, since they opened up China, now it has become a big change. It has grown so much in the last 30 years, and it's become a major, major consumer economy in the world. So you're saying demand was kind of squelched during the Cultural Revolution and uh, suppressed, really, for a long time, and now it's kind of coming back very strongly. Is that the idea? That's correct. That's correct. And, and because of that, they really value, uh, Chinese consumers have a, it's a little bit different 
an American consumerist in many in many ways, and the American the most popular products that are made in the USA, if you're proud about that. So in China, they don't really value the local brand as much, except the day-to-day, you know, use, you know, product at home. Uh, they they value the foreign brand a lot more higher than the whole domestic brand. So, even as you can see, even products that are very popular in China, like iPhones, it's really like in China. But they were designed in America uh, from an American firm, and they were able to command much higher prices than similar products in China, which have the same features and benefits, but it's a Chinese brand that is selling a lot lower in price. So, so why is that that the Chinese, which have always been a very proud people, are, are more willing to pay a higher price and value foreign brands more than their own domestic brands? Well, you're right. Chinese actually are very proud of our history and culture. Uh, but however, you know, we really don't have our own brand for a long, long time. So we look at the foreign brands which have history, uh, you know, with a special, you know, eyes. In China, we have a problem of saying that the, the moon is rounder in, uh, in the outside of China. So we really prefer, you know, foreign brands uh, luxury brand that are foreign, you know, brands that we don't, we don't understand, we don't perceive that Chinese brand as the same quality, the relationship as the foreign brand. So it's a very interesting phenomenon that the Chinese people in China actually prefer uh, the, uh, the foreign brand, whether it's an American brand or European brand, uh, you know, and we're willing to pay a premium for that. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Savio Chen. He's the author of the book called China's Super Consumers, What One Billion Customers Want and How to Sell It to Them. His website is SavioChen.com. He's also the founder and CEO of U.S. China Partners. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. 
Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Savio Chan. He's the author of a book called China's Super Consumers, What One Billion Customers Want and How to Sell It to Them. His website is SavioChan.com. And he's the founder and CEO of U.S. China Partners. Welcome back to the show, Savio. Thank you. So you have a whole section which you call the China, uh, the Chinese super consumer from birthplace, birth to adolescence to maturity. And your first one is what you call from sandpaper to Sephora, the first super consumer. So tell me a little bit about what the characteristics are of these Chinese consumers that like very fancy things like Sephora. Well, as I said to you earlier, that the Chinese consumers love foreign brands. So back in the old days, the Chinese women have no lipstick or cosmetics, so they use sandpaper or what we call rouge paper to, help, to rub down their cheek, so they have a hue on their face to look more prettier. But today, China is the largest country with the, with the largest Sephora stores in China. So it has come a long way because of the, our favor of foreign brands. We love to buy every Italian, French, and American brand products in China. And what is different about Chinese consumers, and what we call them a super consumer is, besides it's large and they spend a lot, it's really a super global demographic because we travel. Chinese consumers, they travel all around the world and has become the number one spender, tourists. It's been a number one spender in the world. Chinese tourists spend more than any other tourists, including American tourists. So, for example, American tourists on average would spend two to three thousand dollars per trip whenever we travel. Chinese consumers, on the other hand, we spend six thousand dollars per trip per on on buying products and and services, which is almost double uh, American. When we travel, and even though only about five percent of the Chinese consumers have a passport to travel, uh, when they travel, they really spend and and they really uh, are changing the landscape of hotel and tourism in the world. So, if you are a businessman, say in America, who wants to attract Chinese consumers who are traveling to America, what would be some tips you would give them that would make it attractive to Chinese consumers? Well, of course, you know, the, the, I think the important thing is, as I say in the book, uh, is you got to understand a little bit more about the history and the culture of China. So you know what kind of things we like, 
and why we like them, and what kind of things we don't like, and why we don't like them. But more importantly, uh, Chinese consumers communicate differently uh, because of the technology and the uh, Internet. Chinese consumers now use their mobile phone and the Internet to research on the product a lot more than even Americans do. So they will compare their notes on the Internet, and, and they will share the information with their friends and family, what to buy, what not to buy. They read a lot. And, but, but importantly, there's no Facebook in China. There's no Pinterest. You know, there's no all these tools. There's no link, link, LinkedIn in China. It's very new. So all the tools that are popular in America for social media does not really work in China. So you have to use their tools that they, that they're familiar with. There is a tool called WeChat. W-E-We. Chat, T-H-A-T, one word, that has are the most popular, you know, mobile social media tool that most Chinese people use. There are more than 600 million people who use WeChat to communicate and share information. So if you want to communicate with Chinese consumers about what to buy, what not to buy, how to attract them, you must learn how to use WeChat to engage with them and to, after you met them, to share information with them. And almost every Chinese person that I come across use WeChat. So is it, that means you're supposed to, if you're an American businessman, advertise on WeChat, or is it people speaking to each other, talking about their good experiences? How would you use WeChat to uh, influence Chinese consumers buying in the U.S.? Well, I'll give you some example of how some of the U.S. brand, how they do that. Some of the U.S. brands, they actually use WeChat to announce some of their newer products uh, on WeChat first before they announce it on the other traditional media. So, for example, if, you know, if, uh, if, uh, if Gucci or, 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 or Michael Kors is coming up with a new product line and they have an official account on WeChat, they will use the official account to show pictures and information about the new product line so the Chinese consumers can see them first on WeChat, and then they can follow them, and then they will get more information about them, and they will know where they can, where can they buy the product from, whether it's from their own stores or from other channels. So using the WeChat platform to disseminate latest information to the Chinese consumers is a wonderful way to engage with them. So you have some examples in the book of specific companies and how they've done well. One you mentioned specifically is Nestle. So how did Nestle kind of start, you know, and then become very popular in China using these technologies? Yeah, I mean, uh, there also, there's also a lot more, more current example, uh, but I want to share an example who are more uh, easy to understand. Because I think a lot of times I want to share the example of Fortune 500 companies. Many of my readers say, well, you know, they're Microsoft, they're, they're Nestle, they're Fortune 500 companies. I am not a Fortune 500 company. And frankly, if you look at the history and the data now, the data in today, most of the Fortune 500 companies have a presence in China, and they're doing really well by and large in China in terms of sales and profits. But let me show you an example about a, not a Fortune 500 company, but an individual, how, they, how she used WeChat to promote her services and products. And this is a lady who lives in New York who is a real estate broker working for a large real estate agency in, uh, in New York. 
And as we all know, the Chinese love real estate. They buy real estate. They really enjoy real estate. So, of course, real estate in Manhattan, in New York City, are very expensive. But they are also uh, doing really well to Chinese consumers. And I think Chinese consumers now today is the number one buyer now uh, for real estate in New York and in America by and large. So this young lady, uh, she knows WeChat. She knows how to use WeChat. So she used it to WeChat to share information and teach all these young Chinese students, help them find apartments in Manhattan, and help them save money, and help them learn the culture of the, the tradition of U.S. businesses, and help them find inexpensive apartments. So over time, she has a lot of fans and a lot of friends on, on WeChat who trust her. And because Chinese consumers... Many of them, the young people, is the only child of the family. So over time, they will tell their parents, that, oh, this lady, uh, Emma, is so nice to us and helping us. And the trust was built. The bond was formed. And one day, Emma got a WeChat from a Chinese parent from, from Beijing, China. said, hey, I saw this apartment, this luxurious apartment, who's new, who's across the street from Museum Modern Art, MoMA, was on sale. I want to take a look at that. Could you help me to find out the, the price on that apartment? So Emma went to the apartment, which is brand new, uh, in, uh, in New York City, uh, across from Museum of Modern Art, and took some pictures, sent it back to the lady in China, and it's a very expensive apartment. The studio is going for about $3 million per studio, and the two-bedroom is like you know, $5 million, $10 million, very expensive. So she sent pictures to full WeChat to the young lady in China whose daughter is studying in New York City. So she loved the building. She ended up, you know, you know well, actually expressed to want to buy the, the apartments uh, for, you know, Emma. And Emma was very intelligent. She looked the lawyer and the accountants and the bankers with this, you know, uh, prospect, the young lady in China, in a, in, in a group. So whatever they communicate is instantaneous, share. And then, long story short, she was able to sell a $3 million studio apartment and a $10 million, you know, uh, one-bedroom apartment, all full WeChat, sight unseen. That means that the lady never came here to America. It's all seen pictures on WeChat. It's all done for WeChat, and it's all sold for WeChat. So it's a very good example of how any service provider, you know, real estate brokers included, can use WeChat to market and sell to Chinese consumers. So it's, a lot of it's about trust when you get down to it, right? Because it's creating the relationship first, and then sales come after there's a trust in the person or the brand. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the Chinese take a little bit longer to build, to build trust with, because for so many years, we've been under besieged by all the other countries, uh, and we're so weak for so long that the confidence, uh, a lot over a long time has been recently regained because of the economy and the country is resurging. So, so a lot of people, they're very cautious and they're not easy to give trust. So a lot of times, we, the way we guide or, 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 or train our, our customers is to tell them to do things to help to build trust first. 
and taking a long time to build trust before they approach them for business or sales success possible. And there were a lot of time, you know, you know, uh, win you or win, win them over by a large extent compared to the, you know, short, uh, you know, short cycle sales of other countries. So one of the things, just a mistake that, that Westerners make is try to rush it too much and that puts people off, is that what you're saying? I think that, you know, one thing that we learn is if you're overly strategic and if you're overly, you know, pushy, you can always backfire for Chinese consumers or investors. They don't like to be pushed. And in fact, you know, uh, a lot of times, uh, Chinese consumers or investors, we always guide and say, hey, you know, you have to get to know them first, don't talk about business yet, talk about family, talk about your culture, talk about everything else. They do a lot of lunch and dinners. And then even even invite you to, to uh, sing karaoke with them uh, long before they broach the subject matter of business. Uh, because they really want to get to know you first before they talk about business. Once they get to know you and they feel that they can trust you, then they will slowly open up. But by the same token, once they trust you, then they can do anything for you. Yes, very good. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Savio Chen. He is the founder and CEO of U.S. China Partners. His website is SavioChan.com, and his book is called China's Super Consumers, What One Billion Customers Want and How to Sell It to Them. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Savio Chen. He's the founder and CEO of U.S. China Partners. His website is Savio, S-A-V-I-O, Chan.com. And his book is called China's Super Consumers, What One Billion Customers Want and How to Sell It to Them. Welcome back to the show, Savio. Thank you. So one big company a lot of people are very familiar with is Alibaba, but they don't really understand what makes it so powerful and so big and why it's been so successful uh, so quickly. So explain what, what has been the secret of the success of Alibaba. Well, what Alibaba has accomplished is really something very different than what we have here in America. Is in America, we have Amazon, who buy the product, hold them in the warehouse, and sell them to you directly, very efficiently and effectively. Amazon is a great company. But Alibaba in China is not an e-commerce company per se. It's really a platform. It holds all these millions of small individual companies who have something to sell to you and, and they facilitate that transaction. And because of lack of trust and lack of payment system in China, uh, they create an amazing uh, solution called Alipay, and which allows you know, uh, the buyer and seller go through these Alipay payment systems to do and buy and sell things, hold the funds in an escrow before the funds is released to the other party. So over the years, it has become the largest e-commerce platform in China and in the world with millions of you know, small and large vendors selling products and, and to each other. So now they want to go global. They have raised more money than anybody else on IPO in, a new, in, in, in America. And now they allow, they create what they call Timor, Tilay Tommy, M-A-L-L, Timor, and Timor Global, which allow American companies to set up shop in their Timor so that the Chinese consumers can buy the product directly from American companies. So Timor have many official stores like Nike there to sell their products for the Chinese consumers. But recently, they have launched Timor Global, which is even better. This is for American companies. You don't need to have a presence, have an address, have an office in China. They can sell food Timor Global virtually. So let's say if your, your office, Jordan, is in Westchester, New York. You don't want to go to China. You don't want to sell your products. You can do that without going to China for Timor Global to reach millions, hundreds of millions of Chinese buyers. So that's the newest thing, and that will become a biggest trend to have a lot of the medium to small-sized businesses who want to sell their product to the Chinese consumers without even traveling there, without even doing anything there. You can do it in, the, in your home. So, so does that mean that there's going to be less need for Western companies to go and set up retail shops in China if they can do things online through Tmall, through Alibaba? Yes. It would decrease the need to do that, but, but of course... In China, the trend is very popular called O2O, online to offline, or offline to online, 
So a lot of the physical store leverage their physical store to do to, to do the experiential part of the selling. So you can feel and touch the product, you can ask a lot of questions you want, and then uh, and then they can send to you by 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 shipping or deliver to you to your home. And then if you want to do return, you buy the product online, and for whatever reason you don't like the product, you know, the color, the smell, the look, you can return it to the physical store. So the physical store has become a portal for customer service and an extension of the brand. So O2O, online to offline, or offline to online, even though it's not very popular in America, is extremely popular in China. So, and in many ways, the Chinese e-commerce on the retail uh, landscape have actually leapfrogged the American, you know, uh, retail. And in fact, I would even argue to say that Chinese consumers today have a better experience in buying and trying the products than even American consumers. And they really have become the most spoiled and the most, uh, you know, special, uh, you know, consumer that everybody's going after. So, so okay, let me give you a, a quick example. What I mean by okay. that. So, I tell the consumers now, you can search online, find a, find a TV that you like, and then you will say, hey, you look nice. But I'm not sure the colors is really exactly nice. So, you went into the store in, in China and look at the color of the screen. Oh, look really nice. Look really nice. So you can touch it. You can feel it. You can pick on the color, and then now you can pull up your mobile phone and, 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 and do all the things there, compare the, compare the prices, the the prices are the cheapest, and then, you know what? The lines are really long at the checkout counter. Let me pay for it now. So you can pull up the mobile phone and use Alipay from Alibaba or Tenpay from Tencent, and then I make your e-commerce company on the, on the mobile and pay for that on the mobile phone. And then you have them arranged to deliver to you to your home. So it's all integrated together. You don't have to really do that. In America, when you go to Best Buy, when you go to Walmart, when you go to Costco, you still don't wait online. The payment system is still not there yet. So the Chinese consumer's experience, in my humble opinion, I think is now even better than the American consumer's now. Now, the, the Chinese Communist Party still controls a lot of the state-owned enterprises in the major industries, in oil and electricity and travel and life insurance and so on. Are they threatened by the growth of these private companies that are not controlled by the government, like Alibaba and Baidu and Tencent? No, no. They are, uh, yes, you're right about you know, most, of, most of the what they call the pillar industries, the banking, the insurance, the telecommunications, uh, are all controlled by the Chinese government. Because those are pillar industries, uh, national security, and all these other good stuff. But for many of the other industries, like e-commerce and like, uh, you know, retail, it's really, they really allow and encourage uh, the private enterprises to do more. Because they understand if they do more, they do well, they can help them to consume more products, move the Chinese economy from an industry investment-led economy to consumer-led economy, and also create jobs, which led to my previous point I talked about is about stability and harmony. The more jobs you created, the more they are forced to spend money on the products 
for on, on, on the retail store, different friend, more, uh, uh, e-commerce model, the more they, they are. So they actually not only leave them alone, they actually encourage them, help them grow and succeed. So you have a chapter in what you call the Chinese luxury and premium market. And when I was in Shanghai recently, I saw all the stores of Gucci and Tiffany and all the fancy stores. But I hear lately that because of the kind of anti-corruption campaign, that people are getting nervous about buying expensive, fancy things because they think they're getting their money in, in some corrupt way. What is the state of the luxury premium market in China today? Well, you're right about that. In the short term, since President Xi has come down with an anti-corruption you know, policy and really trying to get rid of corruption in China, many government officials are now very reluctant to buy any luxury products. So you can see them wear and consume. So all the luxury hotel and all the top five, ten luxury brands, Gucci, Louis Vuitton included, uh, the sales get affected because all the consumers are still buying, but the Chinese government officials are not buying them anymore. So, so they they they're affected a little bit. But the short term adjustment, by and large, they're going to go a lot more back to normal in about a few years from now. Uh, but, but 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 that said, the other consumer products like the the, the mid tier value brand, luxury brand, the light luxury brand are doing really, really well. Yeah. So you're saying there's still a lot of pent-up demand for that. Now, there's a lot of income inequality in China, right? So the people at the top have done very well, but many, many millions of people are not able to participate in that. Is there a lot of resentment from the common person to the luxury person who is buying these high-end products? Well, there's a, there's a different side of the story here. By and large, the Chinese economy and Chinese consumers have grown so tremendously for the last, you know, uh, you know what, you know, 10 years, 10, 20, 20 years. I mean, you can imagine that, right? The GDP, you know, back in 2000 is only 1.4, 1.2 trillion dollars. Today, last year, 2014, it has grown eight and a half times to, you know, $10.4 trillion, you know, which is a large, very large economy, growing tremendously. So when you do that, many people becoming out of poverty and become middle class. People's income has rise tremendously. If you do a blind, if you do a blind survey about Chinese consumers and citizens and their perception and their opinion about the government, 80% of them will tell you they're very happy with the Chinese government, because the majority of them are making more money than last year for the last 10 years, continuously, and it's still growing. So when you're making more money continuously, you have more hope, you have more you know, optimism, and you tend to spend more of your income to buy stuff. So in fact, you know, Chinese you know, uh, citizens and Chinese consumers are very, very you know, happy with the way they are right now. And there's not that much resentment of the, because the, there are many billionaires and people who've owned businesses that have done extremely well, uh, Jack Ma and that kind of thing. So you're saying because the average person's done much better than the last 10 years, they're not that resentful of the very top, the billionaire types. Yeah, by and large, that's the case. You know, the majority of the people see that, yeah, Jack Ma and many people feel very wealthy. But at the same time, they feel pride. They feel proud that, you know, Chinese now have become more wealthy 
and we raise they raise more money, they become more rich, a lot more millionaires and billionaires. They become their inspiration to do well, to move up the ladder, social ladder, right? To have a place in the world. Now we are not poor anymore. We're not being looked down upon. Now we have arrived. You know, now we have we have more money than many many other you know countries. So they, in many sense, the pride and the proud. Uh, of Chinese, you know, rising is really, really there. And the resentment is only a minority, small portion. Uh, the majority of them are really happy and proud about the progress. Very good. We're going to get back after this next break and talk about the current economic and political situation in China a little bit. My guest this hour is Savio Chen. He is the author of the book called China's Super Consumers, What One Billion Customers Want and How to Sell It to Them. He's the founder and CEO of U.S. China Partners, and you can find out more about him at his website, which is SavioChen.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Savio Chen. He is the uh, chairman and CEO of uh, U.S. China Partners, which helps U.S. and Chinese companies help each other. His website is SavioChen.com, and his book is called China's super consumers, what one billion customers want and how to sell it to them. Welcome back to the show, Salvio. Thank you. So let's just talk about some of the current things going on in China. So explain to the, the, the listeners why China felt it was necessary to devalue the currency, the yuan or the RMB, and kind of surprise the markets uh, quite recently. Well, you know, the Chinese currency has been appreciating so much for the last five years when the other world's currency, from U.S. dollars to Japanese yen, the euro, are not really appreciating, some of them actually depreciate so much, so they have no choice 
there to kind of like adjust them amidst all this craziness going on so that you won't be out of sync. So what they're doing is trying to balance it uh, in a way. And Chinese government have a very unique you know, play in this because they have two things uh, that they have that most other economies, the world economies do not have. Number one, they have more cash in hand in foreign reserve than any other country, right? Chinese have, you know, all these trillions of dollars, you know, in, uh, in foreign currency reserve more than anybody else. They have double more than Japan has. So they have more cash at hand, which they can deploy at any moment, number one. Number two, they have the policy control. They can change the policy, change the currency, you know, the, the rate, anytime. They control the banking. Those controls they have on the policies also unheard of on any major economy. So the Chinese currency devaluation is a must uh, because of the, of the crazy appreciation uh, uh, of the Chinese yuan for the last, you know, uh, five years, among all the other currencies actually are depreciating, you know? So that is why they had to make that change. So when they made that change and de devalued the currency by about roughly 5%, it led to tremendous volatility in markets around the world, and a lot of other currencies, small countries, devalued their currencies to keep up with China as well. And so the Chinese government led after that by putting in all kinds of rescue measures uh, particularly the Shanghai Stock Exchange, to kind of prevent sales and stop IPOs and to have a lot of buying and rescue plans. How do you think that that uh, has gone? I mean, are they pleased at how the rescue measures have been received around the world? Well, I think that they are, you know, in, in a sense, the Chinese government, if you pay attention to them, they're less concerned about the immediate reaction outside of China care about. They don't really care much about the media's reaction to that. However, they do care about the other countries' perception, and they may not have done a good job in explaining themselves of why they do certain things. But if you look at, you know, uh, uh, and they may have underestimated their economy and their currency, because uh, it's a lot more interconnected with the whole world now compared to 10, 15 years ago. So if they sneeze, the whole world feel it. Right, but if you look at the stock market in Shanghai stock market, it's actually a very, very interesting phenomenon. And many Chinese observers worry about the four trillion dollar loss in the Chinese stock market since June, which derailed the Chinese government's you know attempt to liberalize the economy and the financial reforms. But in but in fact, if you look at the the, the history and the numbers, the Shanghai stock market has been going through similar changes you know, a few times in the last 10 years. So despite the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the stock market you know, changes, you know, uh, have a very little direct, you know, impact and the, China, the Chinese economy and the Chinese consumer. And sometimes people, you know, relate the Chinese stock market as the Chinese, uh, to the Chinese economy. But by comparison, it's a very different world. So, for example, Jordan, you know this more better than I do, you know, by June this year, there's about, you know, uh, 90 million individual investors in China, and which hold about 8.1 trillion, you know, uh, equity market in China. And there's only about 88 million Communist Party members in China. So there are 90 million individual investors in China, and the majority of the investors in China are individual. There's no institution to, uh, to, to speak of, in general speaking. 
But more importantly, because the Chinese stock market has been rising so much for the last 15 months, they think this is like a casino that are going to go up non-stop. So many of the investors actually they borrow a lot of money. And in fact, they borrow $2 trillion, you know, $2 trillion yuan, about $30-35 billion from brokerage house to buy stock in Shanghai and Shenzhen. And that's why it caused all this, you know, uh, you know uh, backlash. Because they borrow too much, when the market comes down, it creates a big crash in the marketplace, in the stock so market. Be- because of margin. People had borrowed on margin to buy stocks. And as it was going up, it was making their profits bigger. But on the way down, there were a lot of margin calls, is what you're saying. So the Chinese government provided more margin as, as the way to prevent it from falling further. That's correct. That's correct. So, you know, just to give you, a, give you a, some sort of data point, for the last 12 months, you know, from, from last June to, to this May, there are more than 40 million. Four zero. Forty million accounts were added, investment accounts, to buy stock in the last 12 months. So because of the rise in the stock market for the last 15 months, everybody, every Joe, Dick, and Harry, and their uncle is playing the stock market. These are not sophisticated investors like Americans. These are speculators. These are gamblers, almost like. You know, they have no knowledge. They just follow the suit. They follow the herd. Everybody buy, they buy. They have no idea. So for Americans to invest in China, I mean, the Chinese market's fallen 30% or so from the peak. It's, it seems like a scary place to invest. But what would be the case for investing in China long-term with where it is today after it's fallen some? Well, I would say for the American, do not invest in the Chinese stock market. It's still too early, too immature to play, and uh, it's, not, it's really not worth the, uh, the risk. And uh, it's very hard for them to understand the, uh, the dynamic that moves the market. Uh, even the local Chinese people have, have a trouble reading that. That's why all these fluctuations. So and I would suggest the, unless you're buying some sort of ETF fund, that's a different story. But uh, I would suggest that they don't, they don't buy the stocks in Chinese uh, stock market, in China stock market. It's probably hard to play. I think there's a long way to go for the Chinese stock market to be more as mature as the Hong Kong or the U.S. one. A long way to go. Now, some people say the Chinese stock market's been a bubble. The other people worry about the real estate market in China being a bubble as well. And particularly, they don't understand the building of these ghost cities. Can you explain why they're building all these properties, commercial apartments, office buildings, and they remain empty? That doesn't make sense to Americans. Can you explain that to them? Well, the, uh, the, 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 the so-called ghost city is really a, a U.S. media ploy because, you know, they just go to, China is a huge, it's a huge country. There are, of course, you know, some, you know, uh, gold city that are overbuilt. But it's very, very, very small percentage. Uh, and the Chinese government always find a way to fill it out. So if you go to a gold city, you know, so-called gold city, a year ago, and you went back a year later, you'd be surprised that it's full, full of people. The Chinese government have a way to move people around from the city, from the country to the city, in the different projects, they have they have different incentive policy to really mobilize a lot of people. In fact, China has now the biggest migrations into urban area in the world. Every month, fifteen to twenty million people move into a Chinese city from the countryside because of Chinese government's policy. So anyway, I think that the the gold cities is just a just a uh, it's a fun to watch thing. Uh, for, for the U.S. media, but it's not the reality, number one. Number two, 
the Chinese real estate is not really a bubble, but the growth is slower. That's true. That's true. And that's yeah. exactly why it's good, it's good news for us because more and more Chinese you know, wealthy people are now diversifying their investment by buying U.S. real estate, buying U.S. properties, buying U.S. companies. And that's why it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's good luck for us. Very good. Okay, we have to close. This has been very fascinating. My guest this hour has been Savio Chen. Uh, he is the uh, founder and CEO of U.S. China Partners. His website, SavioChan.com, and his book is called China's Super Consumers, What One Billion Customers Want and How to Sell It to Them. Thanks so much. You've been a wonderful guest on The Money Answer Show, Savio. Thank you. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.